Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Guan Wang. Guan, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Alex. My name is Guan Wang. I, um, you know, I received six years of academic training in information systems and operations management for my both undergrad and graduate studies. Prior to Snowflake, I had over 10 years of revenue strategy, operations, and analytics experience across the full customer lifecycle, marketing, sales, and customer success in high-growth startup as well as Fortune 500 companies. I'm currently leading the global diverse marketing intelligence team at Snowflake with a bold vision and mission. Our vision is to predict real-time ROI to dynamically optimize all Snowflake marketing programs. And ultimately, we want to disrupt the aged B2B marketing analytics practices. Our mission is to build scalable solutions and models to enable Snowflake marketing to become the industry's most insight-driven team. It's a core Snowflake marketing pillar. That's really interesting. You, you said you were working on a dynamic ROI-driven marketing strategy. Can you explain how that differs from how most people in the industry are currently running their marketing and data strategy and how the, how you're changing that? Yeah, great question. Um, from Snowflake perspective, we're really using the cutting edge solutions and building the models, uh, especially like uh, some of the advanced uh, industry leading advanced machine learning applications you know, to um, build our in-house attribution models, which we can unpack a little bit later but we're using, you know, like some of the deep deep learning algorithms or some of the really, um, you know, cutting edge um, culture inference models to understand the true impact of marketing campaigns, which is really, really rare in the industry. And um, and we're building many, many other machine learning applications, including, you know, lead scoring, account scoring, and segmentation. Uh, there's a laundry list of things we're doing to to influence the industry. So what what in general are some of the pain points around the marketing and analytics industry? You know, in, in my point of view, there's two um, major pain points across um, the, the industry. The first one is data silos, which is a technology barrier in my, in my point of view. And second one is the data literacy, which is a people barrier. That's um, the that deep dive into the data silo problem. Traditionally, marketing was not a data-driven business function. That people think marketing of brand, creative, content, messaging, etc. So those functions are not traditionally data-driven. But given the evolution of a digital marketing, SaaS software service, and the cloud computing over the last 10 years, marketing has more data than ever before. And for all marketing team, they can access to a lot of lot of data. But the problem right now today is there's still too many data silos. The consequence is that most companies cannot build a holistic view to understand customer journey and optimize marketing investments based on insights. Taking digital marketing as an example, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, those are the big, big um, you know, marketing platforms we heard about. And those actually are some of the largest data silos on this planet. Companies put money and spend money and the resources on those digital 
advertising platforms, but they could not easily get the data to build a unified global you know, digital marketing view. If we go one step further, there's a lot of data silos across departments, vendors, and industries for marketing. Many marketing teams operate within their own marketing silos. Without connecting data from sales, product, finance, or leveraging data from you know, second party or third party um, data sources. Another perspective I want to share is the data literacy, but I don't want to deep dive there. It's really to people, how people think, use, and take actions based on data. So that's a, another big challenge for a lot of companies. You know, people who are in the forefront of making decisions, they don't have access to the data and insights they need. So um, those are the two major points to summarize. The first one, data silos, and second one is the data literacy. So on the other side of that question, what are some of the cutting edge technologies uh, and strategies being used in marketing analytics? In my point of view, there's a couple of um, you know, really cutting edge solutions. And nowadays, um, we're all talking about machine learning and the AI. So that's, I believe, is the, really the cutting edge of the marketing analytics uh, you know, industry building a marketing analytics ecosystem that can bring all relevant marketing data and pair with the data from, from other business units or functions like a sales, product, finance, et cetera. A second example is leveraging cutting edge data science algorithms and machine learning solutions to predict real-time business outcomes in a fully automated manner. In a fully automated, I meant, no human interactions, all the predictions, all the results were automatically generated based on the engineering processes you, know, you, you have built. And so the example here is building cultural inference models to justify and just, justify marketing campaigns and optimize the marketing investments based on the model you build. And then the last one I have in my mind is developing a recommendation system to support real-time business decisions. And that can be personalized to generate campaigns for, you know, for your target market or audience. So you know, those are the four specific examples I have in my mind regarding the cutting-edge market analytics solutions. Um, so when a company is looking to improve their technology stack and just kind of upgrade in general the the analytics capacity of the business how can a company build those smarter analytics yeah let me show my team's pillars how we build smart analytics um, at snowflake um, my team has five pillars first first one is thought leadership second one is strategy and enablement and the third, fourth, and fifth one are more technical, business intelligence, data science, and machine learning. And the last one is data engineering. From business intelligence perspective, it's really trying to leverage data and insights to tell story with scale. We use platforms like a Tableau, SourceSpot, SnowSight, and Streamlit to build those applications to empower our end users with insights. We also use data to build cutting-edge data science and machine learning solutions to predict 
future trends and business outcomes to drive growth and optimize our marketing investments. On the data engineering side is to build foundations to, for business intelligence, data science, and machine learning solutions, which includes data ingestion, data pipeline, data modeling, transformation, snapshotting, and also um, you know, marketing-specific feature store that can be shared with many other applications as well as teams. And then the another, one thing I want to highlight here is you know, those on top of those technical stuff, we also want to you know, build a culture that is data-driven. We encourage a culture of learning and development and give our team and employees the opportunities to attend industry conferences, you know, live web, host live webinars, uh, you know, write um, blogs and uh, also like doing, you know, such as um, podcasts to really feature everything we do here at Snowflake. And that, um, you know, basically summarize the five pillars my team um, do, how we build the sm smarter analytics at Snowflake. That's very interesting. So I want to ask about a more specific example, if you have one, about integrating machine learning into a marketing or advertising process. Yeah, I can share some examples from my team. Um, particularly, this one example is market attribution. I think a lot of companies um, has their market at attribution model, which you know they either use their in-house model or they could use a third-party you know um, platform. For us, we build um, our in-house market attribution model. You know, phase one, we we have built a linear um, model, which I, I, most of the audience um, here probably familiar with. You know, first touch, last touch, and uh, you know, there's a um, even distribution. The the milestone is to really develop a solid foundation with good data quality from all possible data sources, and uh, we. We, you know, use the model to, you know, justify you know, certain outcomes from marketing. And what we are working right now for the next phase is using more advanced data science algorithms like hidden Markov chain or Bayesian to understand the true causal inference from all those marketing campaigns you launch on different platforms. And we're also exploring sharply value and then launch long short-term memory, LOSTM, and a deep learning um, algorithm to push the boundaries of market attribution use case for the whole industry. This industry, I think, for market attribution is really, really outdated. Most of companies I heard they're using first touch, last touch, or you know, or even distribution. That's most companies using. And then also those models or algorithms have been implemented in a lot of market attribution platforms, which is, for from my point of view, is really outdated. Um, and that's why we're working more like a machine learning and data-driven um, solutions and models to, to really justify and understand the causal inference of the marketing campaigns. Can you explain in more detail about the deep learning machine learning model that could apply to marketing analytics and, oh, sorry, attribution and how that would improve attribution? Yeah, so, you know, deep learning really to understand all these possible data points and trying to figure out, you know, 
the relationship, you know, if you have a touch point A versus touch point B, um, you know, what kind of relationship and, uh, you know, whether there's any causal inference between those, you know, if if I remove, um, you know, um, you know, touch point B, where that, um, you know, where, where, where the outcome still host, hold. So those are the things, you know, more like a more, you know, algorithm driven um, attribution models we're trying to figure out. But, you know, of course, it needs a lot of computing power. You, you know, it cannot, uh, it's hard to host the whole like a deep learning model on your laptop or Mac. Um, it, it needs a lot of computing power, bring all this data and orchestrate in a way that you can build a deep learning model to, to, um, to solve this specific um, problem, which is um, marketing attribution. So what separates a deep learning model from, for instance, a survivability model where the goal is to maximize the length of the customer journey? Yeah, so the, the true power of deep learning is to understand all possible connections. The traditional like linear you know, um, algorithms, they, they kind of like... A, um, you you cannot really figure out um, the the true causal inference. You know, let's say first touch or last touch. You know, thinking about a customer has a thousand touch points, you cannot simply use just first touch or last touch. Even like a you know even distribution when there's a one thousand touch points, I I believe there's you know probably a lot of those touch points are not relevant. But because you have that kind of model, you know every single touch point just got even just you know even weight um, that's why the deep learning model will help us to look everything at you know holistically at that scale and you know use the model really to determine which touch point actually works and which touch point does not so uh, in order to build a good model you need really good data so i want to ask about some of the blind spots of attribution where a customer's interaction with the brand may not be captured in the data and how do you do how, how do you partition attribution when you don't know all of the things that influence the customer experience yeah i, I think a data capturing is a big um challenge um i I, instead of I, I think I want to, you know, um, analyze the look from a, diff, a slightly different perspective, from more like an improvement perspective. Um, you know, from for all companies, I would say, you know, I would ask those questions. Have consistent, um, you know, consistent standard data tracking processes across marketing channels, mediums, and then even like for. For content campaigns, how how you deploy, how you operationalize your campaigns, those are really really important to you know to just keep in mind, um, collect the data in a consistent and standardized way. You know, for Snowflake, we're trying to capture main customer interactions via first party and second party interactions. Normally, it's via a form hosted on our Snowflake website. Or you know list uploads for for the phys- physical e- events you know of both first party and second party basically our partners um, for second party and um, you know we we can also find really creative solutions um, like 
embedding hidden forms on our website that we can collect the data in the backend without even you know presenting the forms to our investors. But of course, that also need to comply with GDPR, CCPA. There's a lot of data, you know, regulations which we fully comply with. And then, you know, again, I think um, data collection is a big, big challenge. And how you know that also is a big input into the attribution. Um, but for us, we're trying to make the process consistent, standardized, and then also finding some creative to collect the data. Um, I, I don't think there's a you know there's you know I, I cannot say when we were able to collect a hundred percent of you know customer inter interactions, but you know what I can guarantee is we're we're trying to collect as much data as possible and make the data as complete as possible. I recently have been thinking about data brokerages, and I feel like I could start one, and it might be a cool business. What do you? What do you think about data brokerages as a business? Data brokerage, brokerage you mean um, the data owners, uh, vendor, yeah, vendors. data owners, yeah, vendors providing data. Yeah, I think in the ma marketing space, there's so many data providers. Um, to be honest, um, even like for us, we're already using a lot of third-party data, including like. Uh, you know, in the B2B space, um, you know, Zoom Info, um, Intraclay, and um, there's many, many of those data providers that provide, you know, DMB, for example, um, they're providing those data data um, services or package to to the to their customers. And then of, of course, Snowflake, we do use those data services, you know, to enrich our own, you know, database. And a lot of companies even call this as like a CDP customer um, data platform, which uh, Snowflake we build a fu fully in-house um, CDP platform based on all those so so party data vendors, and um, I, I think it's a good business to be honest. You know because it does in you know based on some of the cutting edge data science and machine learning models we built, some of those um, so party data sources actually show up um, as top features in um, some of the models. Um, you know, and um, I believe those those um, data brokerages have have um, have a lot of value to every single business. That's good. Good insight. Um, yeah, and then and yeah, and then one thing I, I think would be interesting for the audience here: um, some of those third-party vendors or you know or data brokerages, they do the data sharing with with us. Um, basically, they, what data sharing is. We don't need to get um, do any data ingestion or they, um, build any um, data pipeline. The data will magically appears uh, within Snowflake. So that's my team trying to leverage as much data sharing as possible, and we don't need to really maintain maintain or develop the data pipeline. Mm -hmm. That's very powerful. Yeah. Can you speak to building it? How? how difficult it can be to build a data pipeline, just generally the steps that need to be taken and how hopefully that'll change in the future? Yeah, so, you know, building data pipelines sometimes can be really complex. You know, I, I can um, describe something from a long time ago when I first started my career, um, you know, building data pipeline using um, my first time using, um, you know, my SQL and SQL Server, at that time, you know, there was not even like a API concept. 
you know, a lot of data were dumped into F F SFTP. Um, and we grabbed the data from SFTP, which is really like a more traditional methodology. And fast forward, um, you know, I think over the last 10 plus years, the API um, concept, um, you know, was, was created and all the digital ads platforms, they have APIs. Then, you know, companies start to, you know, build data pipeline con by connecting with the APIs. And, uh, you know, I, I think for, for Snowflake, we have a couple, you know, methods to ingest data from those, um, open, um, um, you know, those open APIs, including customer scripts, which um, our data engineering team, they, um, they, they're very good at writing those um, scripts to bring the data in. And the second one is using um, Snowpipe, which can also bring the data into Snowflake platform. And then, um, you know, for from my team perspective, um, we prefer using data sharing, uh, which the data, we don't need to build any data pipelines. The data, once you click a few buttons and agree between the data providers and then the, you know, for us, it's um, it's my team. We, we agree on the sharing methodologies, the frequency where the data lands, um, then then the data will magically appears in this in, in Snowflake, and we don't need to maintain any data pipeline, you know, on 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 a weekly or monthly basis. Um, you know, those are the three main approaches to bring the data into into Snowflake. So, how can a company use data to build customer journeys and improve their marketing? I envision there's two big pillars the company need to think about. One is the data collection, and second one is data modeling. Data collection is bring first party, second party, and even third party data to one platform that you can analyze your customer journey with 360 view. And that's actually, it's hard, hard. You know, we, we my team did a lot, have done actually a lot of webinars or custom, you know, um, you know, big, um, you know, industry conferences. Customers 360 is always a top topic for a lot of companies. Just bring that data into one platform, and it's not easy at all because it involves um, different um, data vendors, data sources, data types. You know, um, structured, semi-structured, or or unstructured data. And how you massage the data, put it in a, into a format. Later on, you can you know analyze, build dashboards, visualizations, and even build more advanced data science and machine learning applications. Those you know, customer three is the foundation of many things we can do. And a second pillar is data modeling. It's data modeling is to orchestrate the data from all kinds of data sources in a format that can easily can be easily analyzed and visualized as well as feed the data feed those you know key data points into data science and machine learning applications so in summary the two big pillars is data collection bring all the data into one platform the second one is the data modeling orchestrating the data into a format that can be analyzed, visualized, and later on used for more predictive um, models. That's very interesting. And 
difficult to probably hire for. So can you speak to some of the skills that that you would look for for a, a good data person to build models and uh, maybe analyses and things like that? Yeah, for, for you know, I, I've been in the industry for more than 15 years. Um, so the, the um, I would say like the, you know, really like a communication is important for even like a technical role, such as market analytics or data scientists or business intelligence analysts. You know, communication is always important. Understand your customer, um, you know, most of the time it's the internal um, you know, um, customers, um, which is could be from marketing, from sales, from finance, from product, etc., and uh, communicate what you know. There's a two-way communications. Understand what your customer needs, and then also you know share your point of view. You know, sometimes what your customer is looking for is not doable based on what you have. So that's you need to build that bridge between what you know the needs actually you know between the needs and what you can provide. A second is really, you know, learn, you know, uh, for any, 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 uh, you know, you work for any big company. So you came from, you graduated from, you know, the top, um, you know, um, universities on um, in this world. You may not have the all the skill sets you need for a job. So always open, you know, have the open-minded uh, mindset and, um, you know, keep learning um, for the job, you know, you know, the skills you, you need to do the, the job really well. And third thing is uh, curiosity, um, you know, in the data, data world, you're not just dealing with some standard reporting. You, you know, what really makes a good um, data person or analytics person is you have that curiosity mindset to explore something no one have, you know, has ever done before. It's especially in the data science and machine learning world, you're trying to create solution that your business stakeholders may never, you know, imagine about. So how can you um, bring that curiosity mindset into the conversation and build a solution that really empower your business stakeholders to make the right decisions at the right time? So those are the three main things I, you know, I, I think are the really top for for you know, market analytics or data scientists um, for this industry. Would you recommend a master's degree for somebody in marketing analytics, and what, and if so, for what role? Yeah, actually, my team, my team has a couple of um, team members. They either just finished their master's degree in market analytics or working on their you know, master's degree in data science or, you know, machine learning or computer science. You know, I, I, you know, people always ask me, like, is this necessary to get a master's degree? Um, I, I think, um, you know, I, I cannot think, you know, I think there's a lot of things, you know, you know, people can consider, including like, you know, if you're getting your master's degree, uh, uh, you know, um, and then you have to, some people actually quit their job. So that may make, you know, uh, cause, uh, you know, may bring some financial loss in, in near term. But I, I do think, you know, all, all the folks uh, in my team got their master's degree, including myself, actually learned a lot about, you know, more depth into, you know, even database or, 
the whole data industry and market analytics, data science, machine learning, and even AI. So those things are really helpful for for you know you know my team members, including myself, to think really long term. What you know kind of skills um, really required for for the job and doing really well in the job. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, for me, I actually got my graduate degree right after my undergrad degree, which is may not be the best uh, because at that time I didn't really understand why I need to took uh, I need to take this course instead of that course. And later on, I think even like uh, 14 or 15 years later, I realized, oh gosh, that course actually was so helpful. I didn't realize it's so you know, uh, but I didn't realize at that time, you know, the. Yeah, you know the core the, that particular subject was um, helpful w- would be helpful for my long term career. Um, you know that's you know I you know Alex I, I think um, it, it all depends on situations and the roles um, people take later on. But you know education is a long term um, thing. You know learning I I, I really encourage my team to um, keep learning new things in the job and uh, make sure. You know, they they not just updating their skill set, but also their knowledge about industry. So, you know, for me, I think, um, you know, also for my team, learning is fun, and it's part of our job to keep learning things and you know, and trying trying new 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 field or new even you know new uh, building a new 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 type of model um, to to really influence the um, business decision and makes make a um, large business impact. So how does a person in marketing or analytics make a large business impact? So um, I, I would say like uh, from, um, you know, business impact um, depends on the stakeholders you're working with. Um, I, I, you know, from my point, of view, uh, my, my point of view, you know, making business impact, there's um, two, two, um, two um, um, aspects. The first one is, you know, really, you know, using data and insights to justify the investment decisions. Let's say if I have, you know, a million dollars or want to invest in marketing, how can I distribute that a million dollars across different teams? That needs a lot of uh, knowledge and the science and insights to back up the decisions. And second one is really, you know, once you allocate the, the amount of million dollars across, you know, 10 different teams, and each team may got um, their own budget. And how can you, you know, um, use the models to, um, or even the insights to help each team leads to invest their money? Some team that say um, for digital marketing, if they got, uh, you know, $200,000 um, out of that $1 million, and then how can you, Invest those two hundred thousand dollars across different ad platforms. You know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, and there's many other type of ads platforms. That's also like a, a you know marketing mix modeling problem. You know, basically trying to optimize the business outcomes you want to drive. And um, you know, those are the two two sides. You know, really um, from the top, um, how you. Um, 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 and distribute the the total amount, and then on the more granular level, department level, team level, how you um, optimize the investment at that um, team um, team or functional level. 
so those two things I, I think I want to um, just um, you know share as examples. But of course, there's many kind of um, you know investment decisions you can make, and also um, a lot of um, optim optimizations you can make. You know, for for marketing, um, particularly for snow for snowflake marketing, one of the most important business metrics for us is the sales pipeline, and basically. A lot of things we're doing as Snowflake marketing is to optimize for the sales pipeline we can generate from marketing. Yeah, can you can you speak to ROI-driven marketing teams and what what is the difference between kind of traditional marketing and a sales-driven marketing uh, group? Yeah, so you know, at Snowflake, we are in the B two B you know, um, software space, um, you know, for us, marketing is a core business function in Snowflake. We drive, uh, we, we're, we're holding accountable for all the sales pipeline every single quarter. And um, sales, you know, every single quarter, the day one sales pipeline uh, will be converted into the, the quarterly bookings, which is uh, not exactly the revenue, but basically the bookings, uh, reflect um, on our customer accounts. And um, what we are doing here at Snowflake is really optimize our investments um, to drive the sales pipeline um, creation every single day. And, um, you know, we have um, bookings targets every single quarter. And basically, you know, we want to optimize all the marketing investments across channels, across teams to in order to deliver the sales pipeline at the, for for each e the first day of each quarter, what are some of the challenges of focusing on? Well, you, you kind of you kind of mentioned you're not even necessarily focusing on sales. You're focusing on bookings. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, book bookings and sales are slightly different. Um, bookings basically customers sign you know a contract a contract um, with with Snowflake. And sales, um, we, you know, sales depends on how, which, uh, you know, from what, which lens you're talking about. You know, we, we, you know, Snowflake, we're in the consumption um, business. Basically, when customers starts using the, the platform and consume the credits, then at that time, um, we will recognize the revenue. But bookings, basically, customer, uh, customers can make the commitment, I'm going to spend a million dollars this year. But they could spend more than a million dollars, or they can spend less than a million dollars. So you know, between the bookings and revenue, those are not exactly the same thing as Snowflake. And for a lot of actually SaaS business, I previously worked a few SaaS companies. The bookings and revenues are almost exact same. Maybe there's a time, um, you know, difference. You know, you pay a software uh, subscriptions for ten dollars a month, or you know, um, ten thousand dollars a year. Then you pay the full amount, and you have to pay that amount. Um, you know, once you commit to that, but Snowflake, even you commit to the contract, you may spend less money um, than you originally uh, committed, or you can spend, you know, uh, twice uh, the amount you originally committed. So, um, yeah, we're, we're in this unique, uh, unique business model. You know, Snowflake, we always put the customers first. That's why we create this consumption-based uh, business model. Can you speak to the differences in what marketing tactics are used more heavily in a B2B business versus maybe a B2C business? Um, tech, 
Yeah, I think the the big difference between B2B and B2C, B2B, especially for Snowflake, our sales cycle is quite long. Um, we, you know, for some sales segment, uh, it may take more than 12 months to close a deal. Um, for B2C, it's not that case. I'm thinking about, you know, an e-commerce shop. Um, they may launch some, um, you know, advertising on a platform, on a search platform or display platform. Then the customers will click that ad and they will make the purchase decision either right away or very, you know, in, um, you know, in probably in a couple hours or maximum in a couple of days. But for B2B, because we're working with a whole buying group. So within that buying group, it could be people from, you know, 20 different departments and then in different levels. So you really trying to influence the whole buying group in that whole department. And sometimes multinational corporations, people from, you could have stakeholders um, from North America, from Europe, from APAC, um, from Japan, et cetera. So you're trying to influence that you know, large, large group of um, decision makers and then trying to you know, really help them understand, even like uh, understand, help your customers or prospect, prospects understand what the, what the real problem they have and you know, can your product and services really solve the problems for the customers. So B2B, you know, it's definitely, you know, it's a long, you know, buying cycle, but also needs a lot of, um, you know, science and arts to influence the people in that, um, you know, customer buying journey or decision journey. So, you know, you're working with the people in the B2B uh, and then a lot of people in that process. So... When we spoke last, uh, we were actually both going to speak at a conference. Can you speak to your how how you've kind of come to speak at conferences and what what's that journey been like? Yeah, so you know, I actually um, didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up um, overseas. Uh, for me to speak at conference was um, you know was not really. Um, comfortable and natu- nature, <laughs> nature came out from myself. But I, I think you know, after being to a couple conferences, I really enjoy the pro, you know, the the experience, you know, sharing what I've learned and how can I um, earn, you know, learning or my team's learning or you know, learnings to you know to share with other industry peers. Those are the really key key things, and um, you know, I I enjoy um, from the you know speaking at different conferences, and also you know personally, I I like helping others, and in those conferences, I talk to other you know industry peers, and they share their pain points, and I, I think a lot of times I may have my own point of view, and I, I went through similar journeys before, and I could really help those. Um, folks um you know um you know take a short pass to to where they could be and um you know i, I think that's 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 why i uh, enjoy speaking in the conferences in, including this podcast i you know um i i trying to share my own perspectives and learnings and with, with anyone who will be listening to this podcast later that's really cool how would you recommend somebody get started with public speaking I'm not an expert at public speaking, but you know, I I think uh, my 
because I um, I didn't grow up in um, in United States. Um, I, I think my own experience will applicable to those folks who are not um, native English speakers. For me, I think um, to be really comfortable at public speaking, I actually do a lot of practices uh, ahead of time. Um, you know, for uh, for example, I did uh, a big um, tableau conferences in in May about two months ago in Las Vegas. So I practiced about probably 20 hours ahead of the uh, the conference, um, you know, uh, which happened in May. And um, I, you know, I, I was joking with my co-workers at that conference. I probably closed my eyes and sleep on the stage because I remember every single details of the story I want to tell and the, all the key message I want to deliver. So even the night before um, the, my presentation, I only slept an hour, but I was very comfortable standing um, up on stage and really deliver my presentation in not in a perfect manner, but I was very happy about the, the presentation. I, I did a tablet conference after you know two years of uh, virtual meetings and conferences was really exhausting. And uh, you know, again, my advice is practice, practice, and practice, and make sure you deliver, you convey all the key messages and then connect um, the message to your audience. And um, that's my my advice. What was your journey like coming to the U.S.? How was that process for you? Yeah, my, yeah, so my, actually I came to U.S. for my graduate school. Um, I, you know, I, after my, I finished my undergrad um, degree in information systems um, and operations management, I realized I, um, I want to go deep um, into this field. Uh, you know, even I finished my four-year degree in 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 college, um, I've, I I felt I didn't really understand the, why I picked that major. I want to re- you know study something related to information and computer science. But I really didn't understand what problems I could solve with all the knowledge or uh, everything I acquired in my undergrad degree. And later on, um, I came to US for my graduate school. I realized, gosh, there's so many projects uh, in the graduate school I never touched before in building like a, you know ER diagrams and uh, working on specific um, projects. You know, building a rental car business uh, with the more with the database model, I uh, work along with my teammates. You know, all those fun, fun interesting projects I work at my graduate school really help shape, shape my mindset about what kind of problems, the real world problems I can solve. And um, and and then later on, I found my first um, internship job um, in 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 the United States, and um, I was able to you know, implement um, an ERP and, you know, relate to the billings and the customer, um, you know, um, you know, subscriptions um, at my first job and learn a lot about the business and how I can apply my, you know, my not you know, technical knowledge in the real business uh, world. So that really opened my mindset about um, applying technical knowledge in the um, real business, um, you know, use cases. Very cool. And then, how did you get to your current role? What was that? What was that career story like? Yeah, uh, so I, I've been in the industry for almost fifteen years. Um, you know, I've been gone through. You know, I, I worked for 
large companies, for which um, you know Fortune 500 company, but also work on, work on a few startups. Um, you know, including um, the you know the the first startup I worked at um, actually went public in um, 2018, and later on I joined another startup uh, right before the pandemic, which is in the in the B2B travel space, and that. You know that was um, there was a big um, you know disrupting um, disruption in the whole in the, for the whole industry when the pandemic uh, hit, and um, and I worked in a few functions um, you know related to the full cost you know customer facing functions, uh, marketing, sales, and customer success. Um, you know after so many years and the ups ups and downs uh, for my own career, I I really you know and. I, I've been thinking. I had been thinking about you know what I really enjoy doing, and um, spend many months and uh, thinking about uh, what I'm passionate about. So um, and later on, I really found um, this great opportunity, Snowflake. That was I think around September, October. I think September, October 2020, and um, a Snowflake. You know, I'm passionate about marketing and I'm passionate about analytics. And that's really told me, you know, found this opportunity, great opportunity at Snowflake. Um, I, I actually want to, um, you know, share a quote I, I, I saw on, um, um, online this morning from Warren Buffett. Um, finding the work that you love, um, what he's specifically saying that you will learn something, you will be excited about it, and you will jump out of bed, you can't miss. So that basically described my uh, uh, my own experiences, Snowflake. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly learning something about the product, about the company, about our customers, um, because I have a lot of customer-facing conversations um, with our sales team, with our customer-facing team. And I'm really passionate about everything my team does is, we're doing amazing things. We're trying to, you know, ultimately we want to disrupt the age, the B2B market analytics practices that really keep me motivated about everything we're doing at my team at Snowflake. And um, and I really literally jump out of my bed, except on vacation days. Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It make me, you know, it makes me very motivated and, you know, passionate about, you know, every single day and every single minute I spend a snowflake. You know, it's a it's a true, you know, um, data driven company, and then it's true customer driven company. You know, everything do here at Snowflake, we put customers first. So you know, and then it's also related to my 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 own um, passion. I'm passionate about marketing. I'm passionate about um, analytics, and I want to my team to deliver as much impact as possible for the whole company and for the whole industry. That's really great, Guan. You you inspire me. Yeah, thank you, Alex. I, I think that's a great note to end on. I want to thank you, Guan, for coming on. This has been great. Yeah, yeah, same here, Alex. It was my pleasure chatting with you. And um, I think you're, you're a great host. You know, make me very comfortable just speaking about uh, sharing my own story. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it was great to hear it. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.